heart's true home. Psalm 84, hear then the word of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. For the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of of Baca, of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The The early rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from Him who walks in uprightness. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. And we come this morning to hear a word from You. We long for You to speak That Your Word would uh, come in power to shape our our minds and our hearts. Father, and we pray more than that. We pray that that what we have read about, that what we are about to think about and talk about together would become more and more of a living reality in our own souls, in our own lives, day by day, as we walk with You and seek and pursue You. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a psalm in front of us, Psalm 84, that is a song of a person who has come to know God. He's come to know God as a living God. A real God. A God who is more desirable than anything else in in the world. Anything else in life. He sings out of his own heart and his own experience expressing a longing. A longing that human beings have expressed since the dawn of time. You know, I have um, told you before that I have an undergraduate degree in philosophy, and so I often think in, in some of those terms, and I've talked about existentialism before, I'm going to do for just a second again this morning, and, and the only reason I think it's important, and I do think it's important for us to understand, because really the postmodernism that we live in, and you hear that term thrown around a lot more today, our postmodernist culture, both not only in America, but in the Western world. Postmodernism really is existentialism, really come home to roost. I mean, it really is just the child, the, the, the stepchild of existentialism. Camus, one of the existentialists, wrote about the absurdity of life. And when I read a psalm like this, and I think about some of the philosophies that I've studied and the things that you hear out in our culture, um, there is, as, as Camus wrote, there is in his mind, because he started from the place that he did not encounter this God. And so as he encountered life, he found life to be absurd. 
That's the word that he used. It runs in his writing. The absurdity of life. And the absurdity of life had to do for him why it seemed absurd. It's because you and I and every human being since the dawn of creation, every human culture that has ever existed has had religion. Has had a, had a longing for more. Has beliefs in afterlife and, and more. They, there was a desire, a hunger for meaning, for hope. A desire for love and justice to mean something. Because if there is no God, you know, then there is only this empty, cold universe. And that's the way the existentialists would talk about it. That we have these hungers and desires within us, but when we look out of ourselves beyond our, you know, our own little world, he says we find only emptiness. We hunger for life. Our souls rebel against the idea of death and extinction. But when we look at a universe without God, there is only suffering and death. You have to imagine this soul, and I imagine Camus is, is this soul, this person who longed for more. And he said, this is why he felt it was so absurd, because he longed for so much. He wanted it all to mean something. He wanted it all to be going somewhere. And he said, and then when there is this silent, empty universe that answers you. He says life is absurd. It's absurd to be this person. To be these people. Religious by nature. Worshippers. Longing for something. And finding emptiness. And nothing. If our, answer, if our longings have no answer. If there is no God. If there is no eternal truths. No eternal values then our lives are absurd. He says, it's just this pantomime. It made me think as I was writing. I've quoted it to you before. It's a famous quote. and I, I think it gets right to what the, the existentialist is saying or the postmodernist is now saying at this point. And it's this quote from Shakespeare where he says, and I think it's from Macbeth, he says, all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. It's a poor player that struts and frets an hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot. It's full of sound and fury. But it signifies nothing. Right? And that's the existentialist. It's full of sound and fury. It's full of passion. It's full of desires and longings for life and for meaning. But, but it's a tale told by an idiot. It's full of sound and fury, but it means nothing if there's nothing out there. If there's no one out there. If it's empty, if it's silent. But the, the psalmist here gives a different testimony. The psalmist's testimony stands over and against the world that has found only silence and coldness because that is not what the psalmist has found. It's not what you and I, if we're here this morning, most likely have found. We have found the existentialists to be wrong. We have found that our longings and our desires and our passions are not absurd, but they are answered. There is an answer. There is evidence. These longings themselves are evidence that there's more. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity into man's heart. Right? God has, so these longings, they are far from being absurd. They are actually planted in our hearts by the Creator as an evidence 
and as a drive to find Him and to know Him. He has planted it in our hearts, His longing for an eternity, for life, and for meaning and purpose. The psalmist is on to something. Right? He has experienced something. He's experienced something that is not dark, it's not cold, and it's not silent. Augustine said, You have made us for Yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in You. This psalm is a celebration of the One who has found rest in God. The One who has found the One He has so long sought for. It's about a soul's journey uh, toward His Creator and in finding the Creator finds strength and finds life and finds joy. He uses a metaphor. It, it really is a metaphor, a story. He tells it as if you know, it's a pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem from the outskirts of Israel. The pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem to the temple. And he longs for the temple of the court. And in their psyche, you know, the court is where, where God is. And he uses it as a metaphor. I don't think this is a literal journey because it is not the court so much that he longs for. And in the New Testament, as we know, and there's no more temple in Jerusalem, and Jesus says, we'll not worship here nor there, but we'll worship in spirit and in truth. That his longing is not for the courts, but for the God who dwells in that place at that time. It's a celebration of this journey of the soul to find the God who is. The God who is light. And so he says in verse 1, is how lovely is your dwelling place. O Yahweh of hosts, how beautiful is the temple in one sense, but, but not the temple, right? He's not saying this because the temple was a beautiful building. He thinks that the dwelling place of the Lord of hosts is lovely because God is there. It's where he worships. It's where he encounters his God. It's the same thing that he says in verse 2 when he goes on. He says that my soul longs for, yes, even it faints for the courts of the Lord. Right? The courts of the Lord, same thing as the dwelling place of the Lord. It's the temple. It's the end of the pilgrimage. Right? And he says that my soul longs and it faints for the courts. Not for the courts, but for the God who is. The God who he finds there. The God who he worships there. In other words, he has a personal experience of a living God. Which is what he goes on to say. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. To a God who is there. A living God. He says in verse 3, at the end of it, he says, you know, my God and my King. Right? There's a very personal experience of a living God that has invaded this man's life. He has not experienced a cold, dark, empty, silent universe. He has experienced a God who he longs and he pants to be in his presence again, to be in, in worship, to come and draw near to him. His life is flooded with light and meaning and longing and passion. When it says that he longs and he faints, it's very strong language, and the word fainting there it means in some level he's consumed with this longing. It, it wears him out, it uses all of his energy up. Like he is consumed with longing. He faints for the courts. It's a powerful desire when he says, My heart and my flesh. You know, it's almost it's almost a physical need. 
His desire to worship. His desire to draw near to His God. His heart and His flesh. His whole self. He says, sing for joy. Have found joy in God. And this is because He's a living God. Right? As He says, He's my God. He is a living God. He's not an idea. He's not a crutch. He's not a projection of my inner psyche. He's not anything else that, uh, that has been put out there. He's a living presence. And so in verse 4, it's the first of three blessed that He gives. Blessed that go through it. Verse 4 and 5 and at the very end, verse 12, He gives these blessed. And the first one that He gives is, Blessed are you who dwell in His house. Those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed, you know, means to be happy. It means to be satisfied. Right? It's to have our longings answered. It's the exact opposite of postmodern existentialism. It is, it is a fullness. Blessed is the person who has found their longings answered. Who has found God to be real. It's what every human being wants. Every human being wants to be blessed. Every human being wants to be happy. Satisfied. Now we go about it in different ways. If you walk out the door, everybody in this room wants to be happy and satisfied. And so does everybody out there. And the only question is, what is it that we find that satisfies the soul? And that people are looking and looking. And that's where I say, even Camus, I think, was looking and reaching out. He just wasn't finding. His soul was not answered in the way that he longed for it to be. Blessed are those who have found the presence of the living God. Those who dwell in your house. That is, who have found the presence of God. Whose hearts have learned to sing. Whose hearts respond in so knowing God. And so being delivered out of that emptiness and whatever else it is, have come to know this God. They are the happy, the the satisfied ones on the earth. Ever singing. Lives that have been flooded. It's not something on Sunday morning. Just He says, I'm ever singing. Ever singing His praises. It has become the light of life that lights our days and our nights. It marks every step of our pilgrimage from here. We are ever singing for joy at the privilege of knowing the God who made us. It infuses the whole life. Brings purpose and meaning. And so, verse 5, he goes on, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Right? Blessed are those who have found God to be a source of strength. And so, not only is the universe not empty and cold, not only is it not silent, it actually, actually we have outside of ourselves. And here it is, when we reach out beyond ourselves, you know, is there a source of strength, of life, Is there something more that fills and enables us to live well? And he says, blessed are those for whom God has become their strength. I like the way he uses the image as he finishes that out in the second part. He says, you know, in those whom their strength is in you, in you, Yahweh, in whose heart there are highways to Zion. Right? And this is one of the reasons I know that this psalm is not just about the psalm of a bunch of pilgrims heading to the temple in Jerusalem. He says that the highways are internal. 
The highways is something you may, tra- you may take your car to church this morning and there's a sense of the highway outward. But the real journey, the real journey into the courts of the Lord, into the presence of God is an inward highway. And if you don't make that journey, if you don't find in that sense the ability to enter into God's presence and to know Him, then we have missed something very, I think, significant. He says the highway leads to Zion. Zion is just another way of saying Jerusalem. And for these purposes, Jerusalem is just another way of saying I'm heading to the temple. And that's just another way of saying I'm I'm on my way to God. To the presence of God. My heart longs and faints for Him. And so there are these highways, these internal highways to God who has become our strength. A highway is a two-way highway of life and health and peace as God infuses in my life and in my soul the strength that I lack. We said that Paul talked about glorying in his weakness because then and there the power of Christ rests on him. He finds strength because he has an inward highway to Christ who brings forth that life. <clears throat> and so I like this, this highway to God. Because the one who has this highway, he uses it as this metaphor to, <clears throat> um, to get to the temple. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him on truth. Right? The Lord is near to us who call because there's a highway right I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. I can turn my heart in a moment. And there's a highway. Not just a a back road or a byway, but a highway. I can turn my heart in a moment. There's so many times I sit to pray with someone and the privilege at that moment, it strikes you, that sense that I can stop and in this moment, close our eyes and lift our hearts and our minds in prayer and be in the presence of God. Like there's a highway from here to there. there. There is... Where we can be in a moment. The Lord is near. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. Who call on Him in truth. And he continues the image of the road. Because the road, it's not always an easy journey. He says it travels through as they go through the valley of, the valley of Baca. In the valley of Baca, that's often been translated as a valley of weeping. Um, there's some understanding here of, of what exactly this valley is, but it's very clear. It's a dark valley. It's a valley of weeping. It's an arid valley. Right? It's a dry place. It's when we did Psalm 23, and I said that when one passes through the valley of the shadow, um, there, I don't, again, I don't think it's just dying. You know, the valley of the shadow of death, we always go to, to that, that journey, that struggle. But I think it's when we go through the valley of shadow. Dark valleys, dry valleys, scary valleys, troubled valleys. And so this valley of Baca just fits in it. There's this traveling was a dangerous thing. From wild animals to brigands on the road. I did say brigand. Robbers, bad guys. You know, it could be dangerous. And so this traveling through these dark valleys as they go. And here the image though is of it's dry. And, then, and again, the whole image is of thirst that go through the Uh, through the Scripture in these dry lands where there's no water. And he says, when you who have a highway in your heart to the presence of God and to Zion, he says, when you travel through the proverbial valley, valley of weeping, when you go through those times of trouble and, and are down and you come to the end of your resources and are all dried up and are, are empty in yourself, 
He says they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. There has been this image in the, in the Scripture running through the Old Testament and Jesus picks it up. This image of, of the dry places it, that they were so familiar with in their landscape. So for us, we got to th- maybe, I don't know, we're four and a half inches behind. Maybe we can get, get into the dry image a little bit. But that, that, that dryness. And so water was this image of grace. And it was an image of the flow of life. Coming in when you in your life are at that place where you are parched. And so this image of water rising. So we see it again like in Isaiah 35. I put this in for us. Isaiah 35 verses 5 to 8. He says, when the Gospel comes, when Jesus is revealed, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer. The tongue that was mute like the man in in this psalm that has discovered a living God, it will sing. The tongue that had been mute will sing for joy. And waters will break forth in the wilderness. I love that image. Maybe because so often my soul gets dry. Maybe I'm the only one. But I spend a lot of time where I am spiritually parched. And I read passages like this and they are life to me. Right? That, That... They shall burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning shall become a pool. The thirsty ground shall become springs of water. The haunt of jackals, the wilderness where they lie down. The grass will become like reeds and rushes. It will grow and flourish. And a highway will be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. Right? These images of water and of a highway and of Joy and of life that come flowing in with that water. And that water is an internal thing, isn't it? How different is this soul that, that has these resources? You know, the soul that has this internal highway through which springs break forth and flow and flood the soul, right? How different it is from a, uni- a soul that lives in a universe that is empty. A universe that is dark and has nothing to give you. A universe that when you cry out, answers with silence. In the soul's darkest moments, in the arid valley of Baca, where there are no springs, to have no God, to have no highway, to have no one, to see the glory of a sunset, the vastness of the stars, and have no one to praise. In our darkest moments, no one to cry out to, locked up only in the self. Jesus says in John 7, 38 and 39, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, where we've already read, out of his heart will be will flow rivers. And rivers often in ancient times were highways. There was a lot of travel and, and, and of movement of goods and people on rivers because they were the easiest and the quickest. So there is this, you know, out of his heart will flow rivers, highways of living water. Now he said this about his spirit, whom those who were to believe in him were to receive. Jesus promises us this same highway. He promises us this same flood of, of life into our wilderness and into our dryness. Jesus picks it up and makes promises of the presence of God in the soul that clings to him. One who believes in me, who trusts in Me, who clings to Me, will find life flowing in the desert. 
And he says, in such a life, we go from, verse 7, we go from strength to strength. Because each one appears before God in Zion. And when you appear before God, we find what we need. And so we go from strength to strength. Even as we gather for worship, there's so many ways. At the end of a long week, when I come and I stand, and if we did a moment ago, and lift our voices in worship, and, I, and all that other stuff melts away, and we give ourselves afresh to God, and we do enter into His presence, and we pray those prayers, and we are together in that way, there is that sense that we go from, we have each appeared before God in Zion, and we find new strength. We go from strength to strength as we together worship daily, weekly, as we are with Him. We live in a world where life is hard. Things are difficult. Suffering can seem senseless. Death can seem inevitable. A world that by itself has no hope. Where do we find strength for the journey? Where do we find the ability from strength to strength? Those who have an inward highway. Those who know the presence of the living God for themselves. Those who can say from their heart how lovely is your dwelling place, that place where I find you and I meet with you and I know you. How lovely is it? My soul longs and faints, faints for that place, for that time, for your presence. And there we go from strength to strength. Psalm 40, 31, I think that's what he's talking about. The, psalm, the, uh, the prophet says, they who wait for the Lord, those who wait for the Lord, those who are still and know that He is Lord, they shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagle. They'll run and they won't grow weary. They walk and they will not faint. Sometimes that is an experience that you and I long for and, and we find it hard to experience. I get weary. You know, and there are many, many times that, that ministry can be draining, our lives can be draining, our relationships and our families can even pull on us. Like you know for from experience, all of these different places that we end up. What it is to run and grow weary. What it is to walk and grow weary. What it is to come to the end of ourselves. It is a beautiful and marvelous thing, these promise of the blessed life that comes to a person that God is my King and my God. And I have known Him. And He is near to me when I called on Him. And I'm able to, to run. There's a highway opened up between me and Him. And the resources that I need to live, the resources that I need to thrive, are there in His presence. And those who are still and know that He is God, who wait on the Lord, they find they go from strength to strength and that we are renewed. If you haven't spent that kind of time with Him to know, I don't know how, if that, if that highway in your heart is an overgrown path, like we had a little path that ran from our, the back of our house down to you know, the fort where Daniel would play in the fire pit. It was this war, well-worn, every day after school, down a path, up the path, back and forth, so busy. That path was just used and worn and clear. And now when you look out, if you don't know, my son graduated high school, went to college, he's married, he lives off. And, and one of the things that we have grieved over is looking out the window and seeing that path grown over. It, just, it doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't get, and so um, I think it's poison ivy, there's, there's other kinds of ivy, there's other things that have grown in that path because it's not used. 
And for some of us, that highway in our souls, that well-beat, well-trod path that should be a highway. Isaiah 12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for Yahweh my God is my strength and my song. And He's become my salvation with joy. I will draw water from the wells of salvation. Are you drawing water from that well? Daily and weekly are you drinking deeply of the waters of of life? Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I think that's what He's talking about. I think that life that we're describing, this this life of the highway and the flowing springs, is the life of abundance. It belongs to the person who has this well-worn path. Who in verse 8 knows a personal relationship with God, right? In verse 8, O Lord, God of hosts, yet hear my prayer. Give, Give ear. O God of Jacob, hear me. Right? Blessed is the one who is heard. Who knows he has heard? Who knows that God listens? The joy of being heard, the joy of being known, the joy of a God who cares. And so, my friends, he arrives at verse 10, and it seems so obvious in some ways, and many of us, our hearts can, can gather, but if there is a God, and this God can be experienced in this kind of living fellowship, and there is this abundance of life where he, he does not spare one good thing that his people need, and that in the driest moments, he is a stream of blessing and grace and life and strength and light in our darkness. And, and if he is, then one day in his courts, one day in His presence is better than a thousand on earth. You know, a thousand years is what? Like 10, 12 generations? I don't know how many. You know, One day in His courts is better than a thousand days, a thousand, ten generations. A thousand years, ten generations. Anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. You can only say that if God has truly become your greatest treasure. You can only say that if God has truly been satisfying to your soul. So satisfying and so life-giving and so valuable to your soul that only at that point, that level of experience with God, then you can say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in His house than to be king of the godless in this world. I would rather live there in poverty than to be the king of the earth in all of its wealth. I would give it all up. To know God. To be known by God. This is what Moses did. It's that verse that I think says the same kind of thing. By faith Moses. Hebrews 11. When he was grown up, he refused to be called called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be aligned with the royalty of this world. Wealth. Power. It was all in his hands. He could grasp it and live in power and in wealth. And he says he would rather, rather give it up choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He'd rather consider and receive the reproach of Christ because it is of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. He was looking forward toward His reward. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper with the people of God than to have the fleeting pleasures of sin for a moment. 
One day living with God is of greater wealth than all the treasures of the earth. If you have not known God in this way, He calls us to come near. He calls us into His courts to reach out for the soul to go out of itself. Are you tired of living just unto yourself? Scripture, this is the testimony of a man who goes out of himself and finds something bigger than himself that gives meaning in life to everything. To live not for himself, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Right? To glory not in himself and his own accomplishments, but to glory in the God who is. To worship him. And so blessed, as it closes, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Happy, satisfied is the one who's come to put their trust in God. That's to put their faith in Him. To come into a relationship, a saving relationship with Him. McLaren, Alexander McLaren says, by the outgoing of the heart's confidence to God, we come within the clasp of His arms and we become the recipients of His grace. Jesus said, whoever believes in Me, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What do you long for? Really for me, as I come away from it, from this guy who knew God in this way, it makes me want to beat down that path. It makes me want to wear it down and pull out the poison ivy and use brush killer and, and beat this path. It makes me long to have this testimony where truly God has become my treasure in such a way that these kind of psalms, that when I read them, I'm not reading about a far off experience of some guy a long 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, who had some religious experience. The goal with the psalms is that when we read them, that we come to the place in our own experience, that we respond to them in such a way, and God meets us in them in such a way, that they become our prayers. And not just our prayers in that we adopt them, but our prayers in that, that, that we own them. That it is our experience. That His dwelling place is lovely. And our souls long. That we are blessed to be in His house and ever singing His praise. That we have found that He is our strength and He empowers and enables us to go from strength to strength. And that He floods my desert with His water of life and of joy and of satisfaction. It changes everything. What do you long for? What do you treasure this morning? Where have you put your faith? Who and what has become your trust? Can your heart say, my King, my God. Pray with me. Oh, Father in Heaven, You are our King and our God. And we long for such a testimony as this. We long to know You so intimately. We long for the inward paths of our heart to be so close to You. That we would know Your presence and Your power. That we would go from strength to strength. That we would taste and see that You are good. That You would quench our thirst and water our dry and weary land with Your presence. Father, that we might testify to another generation 
that the world and the universe is not empty. It is not silent. It is not cold. But that you, O Lord, are near to all who will call on you. Let us call, Father, more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.